Jerry Perry again from CBSSports.com. It's now Wednesday, March 4th, and this is, of course, the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I'm joined today uh, by my buddy Seth Davis from CBS Sports, the star of SI.com. Seth Davis, how are you? I'm doing great, Gary. Heck of a time of year, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's March. I mean, it really does. And I think that's just because the travel schedule's been all over the place. But, it, like, I looked up the day and I was and I was like, wow, like we have one more weekend of, of like regular season games and then it's championship week and then, you know, we'll look up and it'll be April and coaches will be hired and fired and somebody will have a trophy and everybody else won't. And it's uh, it's almost over. It really has flown by. And I, I guess the big story is clearly, you know, Kentucky, you know, roughly 24 hours ago, moved to 30 and 0 uh, with a come from behind road win at Georgia. And so... You know, now it appears like barring some sort of weird, weird thing, they're going to enter the NCAA tournament uh, undefeated. And then, you know, let's play the single elimination thing and see what happens. But I think more so than any other team we've seen in recent history, it seems to have a legitimate chance to do 40 and 0. And so it leads to these debates about whether this is good for college basketball, bad for college basketball. And the people who think it's bad have, haven't really been able to explain to me why it is. Where do you fall on this? Maybe it's just a manufactured debate, but it is certainly something people are talking about. Well, the reason why they, they haven't been able to explain to that is because it's, it's ludicrous. Right. <laughs> There's no, I mean, look, you know, we had this debate with, you know, whether it's Tiger Woods or the Bulls or the Patriots. You know, I mean, I wrote that book on, uh, on John Wooden and, you know, John Wooden had to deal with, um, you know, accusations that UCLA was ruining college basketball. Yet, what are people tuning into? I mean, if you're a college basketball fan, I mean, I ain't got no dog in this hunt. But if you're a college basketball fan, you have to root for Kentucky to enter that tournament undefeated. It's a huge story. And 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 dynasties are what's interesting. Parody is a lot less interesting. Cinderella, you know, is nice to have here and there, but you don't want, you know, four mid-majors in the Final Four. Let's be honest. Uh, Kentucky going undefeated. And, and, I mean, that game against Georgia, I mean, that's the one that I had been kind of looking at for a while as, boy, that's the one they could get clipped. Because, first of all, Georgia's an old team. Pretty good team, not a great team, but an old team with some big bodies up, up front who can you know step out and, and have some skill, and obviously it coming at Georgia, but also coming uh, just three days after um, the the Arkansas game, you thought maybe Kentucky would get clipped, but Gary, I really think that um, not only are they not feeling the pressure of going undefeated, I think they are motivated by the chance to go undefeated. They've had numerous games this year where they could have packed it in and lost. And I think they dug down because they want to do this. Um, I think they're capable of doing that. I think they will do it. And I've, I've traditionally been the last guy to say uh, that I, I've often said a team is never going to go undefeated. But I started saying since uh, August when I saw them in the Bahamas, say, boy, this team could actually do it. And now I really think they're going to do it. I think it's incredible. I do too. And I, yeah, I, like, I, I enjoy history. Like the, the champions, they, they tend to blend together, probably in any sport, but, but, but also in college basketball. Like I, I know you could do it if I gave you a pop quiz, but like, you know, 98 champ, 2004 champ, 2011 champ, like whatever. They all blend together. But everybody remembers 76 Indiana. And so if you've got a chance to chase something like that, I think you do, or at least you should embrace it. And it seems like this Kentucky team has, and I'm with you. Um, I've historically, you know, sort of hit the brakes on undefeated talk in this sport, but I, I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to enter the tournament undefeated, and then I think they will win six games and be the first ever 40-0 team in college basketball. We will, um, I, I believe, you know, Indianapolis, in Indianapolis, witness history. Speaking of history, um, I want to get your thoughts on this. Bill Self has just won an 11th straight Big 12 title, and 
I've made the comment a couple of different places that I don't think we'll ever, you know, once this streak snaps of power conference championships uh, in a row, I don't think we'll see it, it, you know, anybody else do it for a long time. And I actually went and looked it up and maybe ever, but like the next longest streak among power conferences is like Tony Bennett with two, you know, like, and Sean Miller <laughs> with two, like that's what yeah. it is. And, you know, in football, it's, it's, uh, Jimbo Fisher at Florida State has three ACC titles in a row. But, like, the gap is, like, Bill Self 11. And then if you want to include football, it's it's Jimbo Fisher three. And then it's Art Bryles two, Sean Miller two, Tony Bennett two. Do you think people grasp, like the average fan, grasp how incredible it is to win 11 straight power conference regular season championships? The answer is no. And, and I think it is... I think it's one of the most re- remarkable streaks in all of sports. I do I'm too. I'm just talking about college basketball or college sports. When you talk about the, I mean, even if you keep all your guys and no one's going pro, you're still losing a, a third of your team every year that you have to replenish. And then when you're a program like Kansas, you're going to lose your seniors and you're going to lose your most talented players. I mean, just look at from last, let's just go from how incredible it is that he won it this year. When last year he loses two of the top three picks in the NBA draft, and he loses a senior point guard in Nadir Tharp, and he replenishes. And by the way, they've had it's not like these guys have come in and lit the world on fire. I mean, Kelly Oubre basically didn't get off the bench the first five weeks of the season. Now he's he's very good, but he's no Andrew Wiggins. And Cliff Alexander, uh, you know, he he was having problems even before he now he's not even available. Uh, in their game against West Virginia, Perry Ellis didn't even play the second half because he was hurt, and they still came back and won the game. I mean, it, it is truly one of the most remarkable streaks in all of sports, and I, I, don't know that, that, I don't know that fans are really hip to appreciating that, but you know, guys like you and I certainly do because we know how hard it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, again, not only is it incredible in the modern era, I really – I think if you and I were talking about, you know, doing another podcast in 40 years, and by the way, we should both kill ourselves if we're both doing another podcast in 40 years. <laughs> hey, we, should, we should only live so long. <laughs> I know, right? I'd, I'd be happy if I can just, like, talk in 40 years. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I wonder if, like, we'll ever see this again. It is a really remarkable uh, achievement. What I wanted to talk to you mostly about, though, for this edition of the podcast is uh, just a, a great piece you filed at SI.com earlier this week, A Crisis on the Court, Why College Basketball Needs an Extreme Makeover. It was well-reported, well thought out, and, and well-written. So congrats, like a terrific job on the piece. I knew you were working on it. I, I, you never know how something's going to turn out just because you hear somebody's working on it. You did a terrific job with this. And um, I, I, one of the things, you know, I, I think I, I knew a lot of this stuff. I didn't know a whole bunch of this stuff. And one of the things I didn't recognize is that of the 12 men on the rules committee, uh, only one works for a Power Five conference, and one of the things you you suggest within the piece is that you know if anybody has uh, motivation to pr- to to muddy the game up and make it more difficult to where athleticism and talent can't necessarily prevail, prevail the way it might otherwise uh, do. It's it's guys at the mid-major and low-major level, and those are the guys in charge of making the rules. Like, this just seems bananas to me. We wonder so often, like, well, why can't they get in this change? Because the guys in charge of changing it probably don't want it changed, even though the guys in charge of watching it, like you and I, it's undeniable that it needs a change. Like, the, to me, that was the most remarkable part of the whole thing. Well, you know, it, 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 it goes to a lot of, of what the problem really is. I mean, I mean how about the fact that, you know, one of the reasons why it's so hard to change the lines around the court is because at yeah. the D2 and D3 level, they're worried about the cost of doing that. Like, hey, that's expensive to 
we got to resurface a whole court. That's like 20 grand. Like, I don't know. That's like more than my recruiting budget, you know? So, um, you know, it, it, you know, all that's happened here, Gary, it's really not that complicated because every other sport uh, goes through this constantly where, you know, I mean, defenses are so much better than they were 30 years ago. The players are bigger and faster. Scouting is better. You've got synergy. You've got video. You've got all these techniques. And then you just have a, a, a slight degree of slippage, you know, a little bit every year. It's kind of like, you know, like a hot bathtub. Like if you jump into a really hot bathtub, it would burn you. But if you just sit in there and, and make it a little bit hotter, then it becomes more tolerable. And, and the refs, as I document in the piece, are always going to call the same number of fouls no matter how the game is played. So college basketball just hasn't been able to adapt the way that the NBA has in uh, eliminating hand checking. I mean, look at college football right now. I mean, you don't have to be a huge college football fan to love. I mean, you're going to turn on a game. I mean, it, you know, seeing the team come back to win 42-40 is a lot more interesting than 10 to 6. So, it, you know, it's all of a piece. And I, you know, the, the, the main thing that I wanted to get across, I tried to use some, and I hope I didn't go over the top on it because I'm not doing it just for the sake of doing it, but to use very direct language. And, and the word crisis, uh, I felt very strongly needs to be used and put in the headline and, 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 and shouted to the hinterlands because of these long-term television contracts it's not like people see an, an emergency where they have to act that affects the bottom line. But all you have to do is look at what's happening. When, you, when you're losing half a point a year every year, um, 13 of the last 15 years we've seen scoring go down. That means at least 13 of the next 15, they're, it's going to go down. So I, 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 I am encouraged. Obviously, I talked to a lot of people for the story. I talked to a lot of people who I didn't uh, name in the story or quote in the story. Um, I, I am encouraged that people understand that this is a significant problem that is not going to be solved by just little trimming at the margins. Um, and I think you see the NIT is going to use the 30-second clock and the bigger arc. I think those two changes will be in, in college basketball permanently next season, and, and I think that's a start, and hopefully it's only a start um, to creating a better product because we all love the game and we all want to see it flourish. Well, that's an, another thing you did with the, the piece. It's very easy for anybody you know, in our job to sit down and you know, grab the keyboard and, and just bitch about stuff, right? And just say, ah, this sucks and this is bad. But, but you actually offered, hey, okay, well, here's the issues. Here are the issues. Now, here's how you can fix some of these issues. And among the things you suggested that I really hadn't heard too many other people bring up was that uh, make the three-point line even deeper than it already is. And so I think on a surface level, people would read that and go, man, people can't, you know, college teams can't shoot already. Now we're going to make it more difficult. But uh, what you point out, and I, I accurately so, is that forget how difficult or or simple making a three-point shot is. The, the, the thing here is that if you just move the line back, it creates driving lanes and space, uh, you know, for the, the unbelievable athletes we have in the sport to go out and, and make athletic plays. And so I'm with you completely on that one as well. I don't know that that's when coaches actually talk about too much. Uh, but forget whether somebody can shoot 38% or 42% from the three-point line, given where it is. If you extend it a little bit more, that's a little bit more space, uh, you know, big men have to operate and, and drivers have to, to get into the lane. I mean, again, I think what they're going to do is going to be a nice start, but it's going to be still nowhere close to where it ought to be, is it? Well, it, the, the deeper line, Gary, has to go in concert with a wider Right, length. Length, sure. So, so it really, to me, it starts with the length. The, the, the area that's clogged right now is the paint. I, I think that, um, and again, talking to people, that this seems to be the consensus that that we do 
uh, the sport does a pretty good job of protecting the dribbler. That, uh, Jim Delaney said this to me, and, and he's the Big Ten commissioner. He's convened a, what's basically a competition committee. doesn't have any authority at all, but they really study the game. Jay Billis is on it. Um, you know, he really felt that, you know, that, that drivers are, they are able to turn the corner. It's what happens when they get in the lane um, that they're, that we're having problems with physical play and way too easy to, to draw a charge. So I think if you, un, if you make a bigger arc, charge arc, you almost have to widen the lane. Um, and if you're going to create that space, then you need to create a little bit more space uh, on, on the three point line, but you, you hit it right on the head. It's not about making the shot harder. Um, it's about creating that space to, to showcase the fluidity and the finesse and the athleticism, which is the beauty of college of basketball. It's why basketball was invented by James Naismith because all of the other indoor sports were too uh, rugged. And his his great revelation um, when when he invented the game was his eureka moment was you're not allowed to run with the ball. That was his and you know his original thirteen rules did not include the dribble. <laughs> he just he just decided you can't run with the ball and that means passing, cutting, running, and not being physical. And we need to get back to the roots of the game. Is there an argument for not going to fewer timeouts other than coaches are just control freaks? You know the only other argument and guys who, like us who work in electronic media, right, <laughs> are sympathetic is is, is commercials. Sure. And I actually did some research. Um, you know, with people in television, just familiarizing myself with how timeouts work and, you know, how, how does a, a, a television network decide whether to go to commercial or stay um, with the game? And whoever's broadcasting the game that night has a lot of discretion. If they, you know, there's a 30-second timeout, if they want to take, but then it's only a 60-second commercial. So, um, you know, there might be some pushback from the television partners, but I would, I would turn the tables on that and say, well, that's a small price to pay to keep more viewers. You know, I mean, if, if you create a better product, I mean, the last two minutes of these games are so freaking aggravating. <laughs> right. And it's like, if you just looked at, remember the, a couple of weeks ago, um, Louisville and Georgia Tech played. And I think the final was like 52-51. It was an awful game. But the last two minutes, both coaches were out of timeouts. And it went like bang, 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 like Rozier for Louisville came down the court and, and, and Patino was flailing his arms, telling him to bring it out and he ignored him and he drove to the basket and scored and that was a winning basket. <laughs> it was so exciting. So, um, yeah, but, but th that one's going to be, that's one's going to be dicier because you've got to convince coaches to give up something that they like, which is control. And you have to ask a television partner to give up something they like, which is commercial. So that's a little more dicey, but it's certainly worth addressing. Well, you did mention in, in the piece, and this was before the most recent um, Iowa State-Oklahoma game, but you sort of referenced the first game, which was you know back and forth, back and forth. And you noted, and I, I think it's, it's exactly the reason why, Lon Kruger has the Oklahoma coach, uh, an NBA background. Hoiberg not only played in the NBA, he was an executive in the NBA. Those are both, and maybe even Hoiberg more so than Lon, but both guys that have, um, that are considered NBA thinkers, I guess may, might be a proper way to put it. And so what happens when you get NBA thinkers in, on, on the sidelines in college? They create a fun game. Like, you can like the outcomes of those games or hate the outcomes of those games, but those were fun college basketball games, the Iowa State-Oklahoma games this year. And I can't help but think it's it's got to be related on some level to to Lon and Fred both, you know, having NBA experience, you know, in, in their own ways. Which is not to say, you know, that that's necessarily a requirement. Right. I mean, I mean, look at the Duke-North Carolina game. I mean, how awesome was that? Right. And even, and even somebody like Tim Kloos at Iona – 
Um, he, I mean, he, he couldn't have said, I mean, he said much more eloquently and forcefully <laughs> what I said in my piece about, about the state of the game. And, but the problem is you can't, you can't legislate that, you know, you can't create a rule that says you must be more creative with your offense. All, so, so what you have to do is, you know, you have to, you have to do it in the rules and you have to do it with the shot clock. And you know what? I, I'm not like a huge NBA fan. I think NBA fans can be, NBA games can be kind of boring too. Now I love the NBA playoffs, but, and part of it is, you know, it's an 82 game season and, and, you know, there's a lot more familiarity and everybody makes the playoffs and yada, yada. But this is not about making college basketball, you know, uh, like the NBA, but I don't think there's anything wrong with making it more like the NBA. Like if you, av- if you, even today, Gary, if you ask the average sports fan or the average basketball fan, which game is more physical? Is it college or the NBA? I'll bet most fans still think the NBA is more physical because they got bigger, stronger guys. But that is absolutely not true. The uh, college game is far more physical because the NBA has cleaned it up. So you know that's why I, I say the clock should go to thirty and not twenty-four. Um, we're, college basketball is never going to out athlete uh, the NBA, but that doesn't mean that we can't uh, move the sport more in, in, in a more entertaining direction. And that means just fixing the balance uh, between the offense and the defense, which right now I think everybody pretty much agrees is tilted too far towards the defense. Last year when um, I guess it was the Syracuse Duke game when Beheim threw his coat, right? Well, it was on a charge call, correct? Right. And one of the reasons that that like sent him going bananas and like charge calls were almost like they were so rare in college basketball last year. And now I swear to God, every time I'm watching a game, it feels like I can almost predict it. Like I see a guy drive and I'm like, he's going to get called for a charge. Here it comes. And then whistle charge. And like last year, again, there were some uh, growing pains and but but people seem to adjust as the season progressed on some level. When you talk to folks, why do they what's the best explanation they give you for why they they reverse course so quickly on the block charge situation it, it it's pretty amazing because you know th- there was definitely mixed uh, reviews on the emphasis on clamping down on physical play now by the way again people don't quite realize they did not write any new rules on that all they did was take some things that were in the back appendix of the rule book and put it inside of a rule just to remind everybody hey these things are there we may want to like start calling them right um, but they did make a rule change on the block charge and everybody seemed to think that that worked pretty well. So I was like, when I saw that last summer, they reversed it. I'm like, why would they do that? Like, that was the one thing that really went well. And it just speaks to this lack. I mean, the, the answer to your question is that they heard from officials that it was difficult, uh, to make that call. And maybe it is, you know, when, when does the gather begin? But, you know, I, I think the technical, definition of when the gather begins, this this upward motion is the phrase they used in the rule. I think that's less important than just the instinctive understanding that you got to be there really early. You got to be out from under the basket. And by the way, you know, you watch an NBA game and you watch a lot more than I do. There are plenty of charge calls that are made and they're legitimate charges. There's nothing wrong with taking a charge, but you know, you have to get there early. You have to be set and you have to be far enough away from the basket where, you know, the, the, the the offensive player should have a, a fair chance. If he's beat his guy off the dribble, he should have a legitimate chance to score if he's athletic enough and, and skilled enough to put it in the basket. And it goes back to your original question, which is, you know, most of Division One likes the, likes there being a lot of charges because their players aren't good enough to 
So, you know, until you fix the way rules are made, it's hard to, you know, fix the, uh, the you know, the rules that are in place. You know, we talked a little bit about the NBA and, and I do because of, of where I live. I, I'm at NBA games all the time. Less so like um, the past couple of months because I'm in New York more than I'm home. Uh, but I, 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 there are, there are uh, several times in any given season where I will sit courtside and watch a college basketball game. And I'm not talking about bum games. I'm not going to those. Like I'm at, I'm at, you know, I'm at Duke versus, uh, you know, Virginia and events like that. And so I see high level college basketball games. And then the next night, literally the next night I will sit courtside in an NBA game. And sometimes my college basketball friends, like they, they roll their eyes at this, but I'm just telling you in terms of pure enjoyment, the NBA can never replicate Allen Fieldhouse or Cameron Indoor, so that's an advantage college basketball will always have, and, and it's an awesome advantage to own. But in terms of just watching the product on the court, it's not even comparable. Like the the NBA is a so much is so much more fun to watch than college basketball, and it's not simply because well one's pros and the other's amateurs. Because I don't know that the NFL is so much more fun to watch than college football. Like I or, or at least the gap doesn't seem to be as wide. Like something has happened, and it's all the stuff you detailed that has made one game seemingly take off, the NBA game, and college basketball spiral, maybe slowly spiral, but still spiral in the other direction. And I just, um, I hope that the people in charge recognize this. Because like you said, um, you know, we can keep letting it bleed just a little bit until it really gets to a point where it's undeniable. But but why let it continue to slip? Rec- why not recognize these problems now and then get them fixed? And so I guess you know, my last question for you is this. Do you think the people who are in charge and capable of making the changes necessary recognize what it is you detailed so well in that piece? I do. I, I can tell you flat out, Gary, I'm very encouraged. I've had a lot of conversations and I'm also extremely encouraged by the reaction uh, that I've gotten to this. Um, people have called me and texted me and, 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 and reached out and everyone is, everyone is in agreement that there's a problem. So, you know, that, that was my hope with this as an advocate for the game. And you and I both love college basketball. You know, we want to see it get better. Um, there's absolute broad agreement that um, there is a problem that needs to be addressed with some, some different types of thinking. And, you know, and it's linked, you know, and, and it's interesting because, you know, hey, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't mind saying, I'm proud to say, and I'm a, I'm a pretty left-wing, liberal, Democrat, Barack Obama-loving dude, you know? Sure. And, and so I like, you know, protecting the little guy and making sure that everybody has a fair shot. But we cannot have Division two and Division three and mid-to-low-major thinking dictate these rules any more than we can have those schools dictate whether or not players should get paid the full cost of attendance or whether or not schools can pay for the, the families of players uh, to go to the final four you know th- those things should absolutely be happening and they shouldn't be being held up because there are schools who have votes who don't have that money well you know if you don't have money go get that money or find find somewhere else so find another sandbox and and so the fact that that autonomy structure could be put in place on that front I think does serve as a model and a mechanism um, that we can get, you know, a, a better structure in place to, to be able to address these things. So we'll, we'll, we'll end on a hopeful note. I can tell you that I've been talking to a lot of the, 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 the stakeholders, whether they're conference commissioners, ADs, officials, coordinators, uh, people at the NCAA, coaches. Everybody recognizes that we got a problem here. 
And uh, I think we're going to see some pretty forward-thinking solutions here in the next one to two years. If you haven't read the piece yet, go read it. You can find it on my Twitter feed. That's at Gary Parish CBS. You can find it on Seth's Twitter feed. That's at Seth Davis Hoops. And remember, uh, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest edition. So make sure you go do that. And either way, I will talk to you again on Friday. Seth, I know how busy you are. I appreciate you being here, man. And I hope to see you real soon. Thanks, Gary. Always a pleasure. Have fun on TV. I will do my best. I'll see you. Take care, everybody. Bye.